Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Sabrina Lee is an assistant professor and quantitative medical geographer at the University of Nottingham. Sabrina has an MSc in Geography from the University of Waterloo in Ontario and completed a DPhil, a Doctor of Philosophy, at the School of Geography and the Environment at the University of Oxford. She specialises in spatial epidemiology, infectious diseases and health equity. Sabrina has contributed to a collaborative multi-institutional research project to collate individual level epidemiological information on the ongoing pandemic. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you for joining us today. That was quite an introduction um, with lots of difficult terms for me to pronounce properly. Can we start by asking you, what is a health or medical geographer? Hi, Harry. That's a great question to start us off. A health geographer is a scientist who studies, broadly speaking, how place and space affects health. As a health geographer myself, what I am mainly interested in is to understand how the distribution and spread of disease and ill health are shaped by the interactions that humans have with their environments. And what are you doing now? So I'm currently working as an assistant professor in quantitative geography at the University of Nottingham. Uh, my research mainly focuses on applying quantitative methods, and this includes using machine learning, spatial epidemiology, and a variety of medical uh, geography frameworks in combination to study the spread of infectious diseases and its impact on health inequalities. Very pertinent for 2022. Prior to joining the University of Nottingham, could you tell us a little bit more about what work you did at the University of Oxford? So I was a PhD student uh, studying geography in the School of Geography, and I also worked with uh, as researchers at the Oxford Martin School program on pandemic genomics. And like all the other students at the time, I started my PhD with a proposed project in mind. I have actually planned to study the spatial distribution of yellow fever in Brazil. And yellow fever is a fatal infectious disease that is transmitted to humans by mosquitoes, and they can cause very sporadic outbreaks, particularly in South America like Brazil. Uh, My research at the time focused on applying machine learning to predict the environmental emergence of yellow fever, and this is mostly with hopes of creating mapping tools to assist with disease surveillance, particularly in low-resource settings. Um, I will never have imagined how relevant this work would become in 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic emerged. And through collaboration with researchers at the Oxford Martin School program on pandemic genomics and other researchers at other institutions across the globe, I led and also collaborated on work that improved our understanding of the virus's spread, the geographic disparities in COVID-19 risk, and the sociodemographic factors that influence people's access to vaccination. It's amazing how important maps have always been and now are again, um, particularly with the spread of disease. Um, as you said, everyone at the moment is um, some form of an epidemiologist if they can map. <laughs> yes, and, that's, <laughs> that's right. Which infectious diseases do you study and map? You've mentioned yellow fever there. Mm-hmm. Do you do other ones? Yes. So aside from COVID-19, I focus on a particular group of infectious diseases caused by arboviruses. And these are mainly viruses carried by infectious mosquitoes. These mosquitoes can cause a variety of infectious diseases such as dengue fever, Zika, and yellow fever. And these diseases can result in very mild symptoms such as a fever and body aches, 
but can also escalate to complications such as organ failure and brain damage. These diseases are often regarded as neglected tropical diseases, mainly because they generally affect the world's poor and therefore receive less mainstream attention in media. But as we've seen with COVID-19, infectious diseases are not stationary, um, and given climate change, it is possible that we might see them emerge in areas of the world where they were not detected before. I remember the Zika virus um, really spreading around the Olympics, I think, um, in Brazil. And that, that remains regional, does it, to South America? Yeah, so at the time, I think it was in late 2015 when Zika was detected in Brazil. And it is spread out across South America and also parts to the parts of southern United States. And it was mostly done through um, air travel as well as other forms of human tr- movement across the, the, the continent. So, you know, as we've seen with COVID-19 as well, it really takes one or two people to travel around to spread the virus. And with Zika, the, the main, I guess, uh, contributing factor to the spread was also temperature and environmental conditions. Um, and you need that for the virus to spread. And, and those conditions were very optimal and conducive um, in that particular region of the world. It's a fascinating um, topic of study. For any student interested in your career path, could you explain what did you study at school and what did you do as an undergraduate to have led you to where you are today? I feel my academic path as a student was not entirely conventional. Um, At school, I did not consider or even apply to any subjects related to medicine or health for university. And I ended up studying um, environmental engineering, actually, uh, mainly because I was interested in environmental issues. My program in Canada was five years long, and it wasn't until my final year did I realize my passion for global environmental health. For my final design project in my undergrad, I analyzed access to safe drinking water in Bangladesh because there's an arsenic contamination issue in that country. And this actually formed the basis for my master's project, where I investigated waterborne disease risk in rural towns in China. It was really from there that I discovered the world of of infectious disease research and specifically infectious disease modeling. I think my general advice to students trying to figure out their career paths at the moment is try to attend as many seminars, lectures, and events as you can. These events should be of interest to you, but they don't have to be related to what you do or study because you never know where you're going to find your next inspiration and passion. And one of these events could potentially open doors to opportunities that you've never known or existed before. Along your journey, how have you used mathematics to inform pandemic control and policy decisions and mapping COVID-19? So the great thing about maths is that it allows us to create models that can inform us of a disease's emergence and movement. So to start, we can use mathematical models to determine how infectious diseases spread from their place of origin or where they've originated. We can also quantify how the disease spreads over time and space and how the transition is influenced by social and environmental factors. And by understanding these characteristics, we can then use mathematical models to predict future re-emergence and also identify areas and populations that are at risk. This research is very crucial for informing public health interventions, and we've seen this with COVID-19 and seen how research studies have supported and helped design the interventions that are are being implemented to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. What's the significance of our ability to rapidly sequence genomes? 
So genome sequencing back in the day used to be very costly and time-consuming because we didn't have the technologies to do so. It was very expensive to sequence a large number of virus genomes in a very timely fashion. Nowadays, we have very accessible and timely methods available, and this is mainly made achievable through the use of portable genomic technologies. Um, genome sequencing allows us to understand the circulation of viral pathogens in the past and present. And we can see why this is very important, especially if there is an epidemic or an outbreak during an epidemic. So for instance, during the Zika epidemic, scientists were actually able to use genomic sequencing to confirm the initial date when Zika was circulating in the Americas. And they found that the virus was circulating way before the first case was reported in Brazil. We can also combine genomic data with epidemiological data for outbreak detection, and this is particularly useful in low-resource settings where they are unreported. And that, of course, brings in mathematical skills and then leads to the interface or the, the maps that you create at the end of the process mm -hmm. for the general public. We've mentioned a few times about social and environmental factors. Is understanding mobility the most important? Yes. If we were to combine genomic data with information on human mobility, we can achieve a lot um, in terms of understanding where the virus was imported and circulated, whether a virus spread was driven by importation or local transmission, and whether local infections were actually travel-related. Passenger air travel information, for instance, is one of many types of mobility data that we can actually harness to understand whether an outbreak has the potential to transition to a global pandemic. Is that mainly driven by air travel? We can look at air travel, and, and, and nowadays what's really great is that we can also characterize movement using cell phone data. Um, so cell phone data, the, the biggest issue with cell phone data, despite its very high resolution uh, and its you know, availability everywhere, is privacy concerns. Um, but using cell phone data, we can, we're able to model and understand human travel at a very high resolution, maybe one kilometer, two kilometer, time two kilometer resolution. Um, and this can allow us to understand a little bit better what's happening at the local level. Uh, I, I suppose the biggest limitation of passenger air travel data is the fact that you're looking at travel points between airports, uh, which then neglects the movement at the local level. One of your particular interests is in understanding why certain populations are more susceptible to diseases than others. Why are some? So some populations are more susceptible to disease than others because mainly of structural inequalities. Structural inequality, which is mainly fueled by the embedded bias of our society, often puts certain groups of people at a disadvantage. People might be at a higher risk of disease ex exposure, hospitalization, and death simply because of their age, race and ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, number of comorbidities that they might have, and access to healthcare. This contributes really to a feedback loop, and this is why health inequality is such a huge problem. And is this structural inequality present everywhere, including the UK? Yes, absolutely. And especially in the UK, we tend to see more of that is very prevalent because there is such an evident interaction between race and socioeconomic status in our day-to-day -day life. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a report uh, or several reports that were published by the Office for National Statistics found that people of color, uh, in particular those of Black ethnic background, were at a greater risk of death uh, involving COVID-19. 
And, and this finding is not a surprise, especially if you were to consider other places such as in Brazil. And in a study that I worked with, with researchers based in Oxford and as well in Brazil, this study w- was published in BMJ Global Health. And we found in this particular study that Black Brazilians and also those of mixed ethnicities were particularly at a higher risk of hospitalization and death. And they were also more represented um, in in public health facilities, especially we found that death was more prevalent in uh, public health facilities as opposed to private facilities, and that they were more likely to die. So this is all sort of driven and shaped by structural inequalities. And this is why we see this being such a occurrence um, anywhere around the world, including the UK as well. So how has the pandemic redefined our relationship with space and place between communities or from people to where they belong? Mm -hmm. So I think the pandemic has shown us that at every spatial level, we are all interconnected in some way, shape or form. No one can just live in a bubble because what happens anywhere can affect any of us everywhere. And I think this is why contact tracing works and why we can use population networks to track how a virus spreads across space. Since the start of the pandemic, we also seen how technology and computers have managed to shrink our world to a screen. And our concept of distance has changed drastically since then because now everything feels very localized. And geographers would describe that as um, a a heightened degree or an increase in interconnectedness. Yes, absolutely. Um, Whilst at the University of Oxford, you contributed to one of the first COVID-19 dashboards called Health Map. Could you explain why this form of GIS mapping is important? So GIS, also known as Geographic Information Systems and Maps, play a central role in many interactive dashboards. And these dashboards actually have existed much earlier before the COVID-19 pandemic. At the very basic level, dashboards allow us to understand spatial patterns of disease infection at a glance. Using maps, we can then identify where disease clusters are occurring, which could then help us optimize the allocation of limited resources and also target interventions in areas and populations of need. So as well as um, targeting interventions, what else did you discover from your research? So because disease mapping enables us to determine the areas at risk, we find that in these areas, they often have high health disparities, which is not a surprise considering it's often the poor and disadvantaged populations that are at the highest risk to COVID-19. And in the UK and Brazil, is race a risk factor or is there a structural disadvantage for particular communities? So race is actually not a risk factor in itself. The issue is with systemic inequalities, which could lead people of color to be overrepresented among low socioeconomic groups, to have higher rates of severe infection and higher number of comorbidities that aggravates their risk of death. And finally, Sabrina, what are you working on now in your research? So an area of research that I'm currently pursuing is on understanding the sociodemographic inequalities in the Brazilian COVID-19 vaccination program. So as we know, COVID-19 infection and death, um, the risk increases with age. Yet there's still very little we know about how vaccine uptake varies across age and sex and also related sociodemographic and geographical components. So in particular, the age-specific impact of the vaccination program on hospitalization and death is still poorly understood. 
These factors are critical for determining the most effective distribution of the vaccine. So in this study, that was a collaboration between researchers at the Oxford Martin School and as well with researchers based in Brazil at the University of Sao Paulo, we found that among the vaccinated population, the proportion of individuals that uh, without a second dose of the vaccine was most common among men, people of color, and low-income groups. We also found that higher hospitalization risk occurred in areas with greater vaccination coverage, which suggests that there is some kind of preferential vaccination delivery to areas with greater transmission and accessibility to healthcare. Vaccination coverage, as we know, and as we've seen, reduces death risk across age groups and is associated with a lower risk of death. And this is notably seen, interestingly enough, in areas with higher income per capita and lower unemployment rates. We find these, that these findings are informative, and we hope that they can be considered in the design of vaccination campaigns in the future. Thank you, Sabrina. That has been really interesting, underscoring the importance of health inequalities, disease mapping, vaccination, and as you said at the end, targeted intervention. Thank you so much, Harry. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.